Perhaps the slave boy who kept the many hearths burning was now called to replenish the fire. Possibly a slave girl from the separate building that housed the kitchen now brought hot broth for the tired mother. Let the wind buffet the wide Potomac into seething crests of foam. Let the gulls go crying over the stormy water. Inside the plantation house, in the fire-lit bedroom, all was warm and secure. At about this point, one can visualize a little girl of nine tiptoeing into the room to have her first look at her new half-brother. Her name was Jane, and she was the youngest of three living children by a former wife of Augustine Washington, a woman no longer living. Besides this half-sister, little George had two big half-brothers attending Appleby School far across the sea in England. The eldest was a boy of fourteen named Lawrence, a brave and gentle person who would later have great influence in shaping George's character. The other half-brother, Augustine Jr., was known to the family as Austin. He was a year or two younger than Lawrence. These three, Lawrence, Austin, and Jane, furnished a ready-made family for the first child of Mary Ball Washington. It is undeniable that George Washington had many advantages from birth. One hundred and twenty-five years had passed since the first hopeful settlers had come to Jamestown. Never again would Virginia know a starving time. Plantations were well established along the James, the York, the Rappahannock, and the Potomac, those beautiful rivers running into the Chesapeake. But not all of these plantations were equally large or productive. On some, the fertility was already impaired by years of tobacco planting. Some owners prospered, some did not. Despite his many acres, Augustine Washington was not a really rich man by modern standards, nor even by the standards of his own day. The Carters, the Fairfaxes, and many other Virginia planters were far wealthier. More important than any material wealth George would inherit was his endowment of good health, a good brain, and a sound family tradition. In these, he was rich indeed. In 1732, when George Washington was born into the fourth generation of his paternal family in America, the Washingtons had been on the Potomac for 75 years. It was possibly in just such stormy weather that John Washington, mate of a sailing catch called the Seahorse of London, came scudding up the windswept waters of the Potomac in the year 1657. Later, the little ship went aground and was sunk. But the mate's story has a happy ending. He married the daughter of a wealthy planter and acquired a large plantation between Maddox Creek and Pope's Creek. John's eldest son was named Lawrence. One of Lawrence's sons was Augustine, the tall, blonde Gus who now stood looking down at his small son George. Great-grandfather John, Grandfather Lawrence, and Father August, each of this direct male line had added land to the family holdings. Each had been a justice of the peace, a member of the Virginia House of Burgesses, and an officer in the Virginia militia and each had enjoyed at least a few years schooling back home in England, a privilege George was never to be granted. Possibly this healthy boy, soon to be christened George, 
could hope to be as locally important as his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather. But no one that February day in 1732 could have predicted that this son of Mary and Augustine Washington would one day be called the father of his country. First in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen.